Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. We're going to finish up our series Entrusted Why All Life Matters. We have looked at how God has blessed us with a family, with time, with money, and today relationships. And what will we do with those blessings that God has given us? We're called to invest with eternity in mind so we can live a life that matters. And today we'll talk about investing in your relationships. I read this this week. Pastor and author John Stange uh, shared that he has friends who admitted to him they have reached the point in life that they would prefer to interact with their pets rather than people. Have you ever been there? Yeah, I think you have. I see a few nods. You know, pets, we love them, they love us, and we don't have to worry about any issues, right? But when it comes to people, well, there's always an adventure, it seems. Um, Dr. Gary Oliver rightly compared a relationship is like a pebble. When it hits the water, you know, when that pebble, when you throw it in the pond, it creates a ripple that has an impact that just keeps going beyond where it entered the water. And research tells us that the greatest source of joy in life is healthy relationships, and the greatest source of frustration and pain is unhealthy relationships. And so like that little pebble that's dropped in the water, the quality of our relationships ripple across our lives and can impact others, including future generations. And so with that in mind, the ripple effect, we need to make sure that we're investing in our relationships so that we can live a life that matters. Now, you might say, well, that's interesting. Well, someone said that the Bible is a book of relationships, and that is so true. I want us to be reminded of that uh, this morning. I'll read the greatest commandment. Um, It found in in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, uh, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked him what is written in the law. How do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. In other words, the guy wanted to trick Jesus. He wanted to test him with a tough question by saying, What must I do? to to inherit eternal life. In other words, is there something that I can do to be saved? But Jesus knew that he was testing him. So he says, what does the scripture say? How do you read it? And that's when he quoted the greatest commandment, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor is yourself. And Jesus basically says, my vernacular here, you gave the Sunday school answer. You've answered right, but now you've got to go out and live it. And that's the thing, this guy wasn't interested in living it. If you know the rest of the story, he begins to question Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And he tells him the story about the Good Samaritan. And so we are reminded that the Bible is a book about relationships. It basically teaches that that the greatest commandment in the Bible is to love God and to love people. And uh, we also know that all of the law and all the prophets hang on this command. And so the Bible is a book about relationships. Let's turn for a moment to 1 Corinthians 13. 
Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is known as the love chapter, and I want to read those four verses that people usually see on greeting cards that sound so good, they sound so, you know, sentimental, but but if you really think about what love is and how you and I are called to love God and love people, if we put our name in the place of love, well, see how it sounds. It says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. See, that's the kind of love that Jesus uh, gives you and I. Matter of fact, just replace the word love with Jesus, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. He's not boastful. He's not arrogant. He's not rude. He's not self-seeking. He's not irritable. He doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Jesus finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Uh, Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. When you look at his life, he modeled that, did he not? And so when you look at how love is supposed to be, just take the word love out and put your name in there and start reading those four verses and say, does that describe my life? Am I living out that kind of love? Now, if you're honest, you would say, I want that kind of love, but I don't feel that kind of love. I don't have that kind of love. On my best day, I try, but that's just not who I am. Well, you know, the Scripture says that when we get saved, that God's love is shed abroad in our hearts. We now have His love in our life, and we can live this way. But here's what I'm hoping you will see, whether it's this passage in 1 Corinthians 13 or the greatest commandment when Jesus said, okay, you gave the right answer, now do this and you will live. Now here's the, here's the point of what I'm saying. This life that loves God and loves people and this kind of love that we just read about in 1 Corinthians 13, none of us can do that on our own. Now let me say that again because I want that to sink in. None of us can do that on our own. None of us can live that way. None of us can love like that unless Christ changes our lives, unless He changes our hearts. You know, we... Uh, hear a lot of people now talk about the most important things in church is the Great Commission, yes. The Great Commandment, yes. But don't forget the gospel, okay? I mean, the gospel is the good news that Jesus saved. You know, that He lived the life that you and I should have lived. He, he took upon Himself the death that you and I deserve. And, and when we come to Him humbly and recognizing that He is Lord and we receive Him into our lives, then, you know, He pays our sin debt and we receive His righteousness. And now the love that He displayed on the cross for us now lives inside of us. And so because of the gospel, you and I can live out the greatest commandment. And when we went through the gospel, we live out the greatest commandment, then we're motivated to pursue the Great Commission. And so many times we leave out the foundation of the gospel. Let me turn to another passage real quick. I'm just laying a foundation here for the message. In Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. In Titus chapter 3, verse 3, Paul uh, really gives a good testimony. He says, For we too 
and he's including all of us, okay? What, what was our life like before Christ? He says, we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. And so God saved us. He he changed us. And so now we have His love in our lives. We have His Spirit in our hearts, and that makes all the difference. But you and I need to protect ourselves, just like Danny was sharing a story Uh, how his grandmother was teaching him to protect yourself from influences. I'm reminded of a proverb, Proverbs 4.23. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Uh, The NIV that I grew up reading, it says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And the King James says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And that's what I want to talk about today is the heart and our relationships. As I was preparing for this message this week, the direction that the Lord led me that I want to share with you is how can we invest in our relationships with eternity in mind? And, you know, I thought of different scenarios. I thought of, you know, marriages and parenting and, you know, co-workers in the workplace and church members. I thought of all kinds of different relational contexts, of all the different kinds of relationships and people that we are connected to. But I wanted to give you a general all-purpose tool today, something that you can use that will apply in every single relationship that you have, period, regardless of the nature of the relationship. And so... As I was thinking about that, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 10. That's where we're going to camp out for a few minutes today. And as you look at 1 Corinthians 10, you're going to find out that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. It is a very pagan culture. There are, are, there's idolatry that is steeped in the culture at Corinth. And the issue is, um, you know, when people go to a, a temple to worship an idol, they, there's food involved, and so... They, they have all their sacrifices involved, and so they take this meat and they, they sacrifice it to idols. And then what, what's not used, the, the, they send it to the meat market, and ultimately, like a grocery store, people go and they buy that meat. And all of a sudden, in the, uh, in the, Christian, um, uh, in the Christian culture that is being uh, built there in the church at Corinth, there's this issue of, are we supposed to eat meat sacrificed to idols? Is that sounds bad? Is that wrong? Uh, is it okay? And 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 it and it's it's got different people on different sides of the fence. And I thought, you know, this is a great example of what I want to share with you today. Why? Because when it comes to our relationships, we can all do this. We have them. How are they going? Eh, it could be better, or they're they're going okay. We nod our head. Well, you know you're supposed to love, yep. You know you're supposed to forgive, yep. You know you're supposed to, yep, yep. And we can nod our head and we can snooze right through the sermon, okay? But here's where I'm, here's where I'm going for. We seem to be doing okay in our relationships in life until something happens. 
you fill in the blank, until something happens. In other words, when issues come up, that's when we begin to assess our relationships. And so today I want to do this. In order to invest in our relationships, we need to answer three questions. I'm going to give you three questions that you need to ask yourself when you're looking at your relationships, your relationship with other people. All right, number one, does it sanctify yourself? Does it sanctify yourself? Now, you might go, well, I don't even know what you just said. Uh, that's okay, I'll, I'll clue you in. Sanctify is one of those theological words that means to be holy, okay? To be holy. And you might say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, look, if you will, in 1 Corinthians 10, we're going to look in verses 14 and following. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I'm speaking as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I'm saying. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? What am I saying then? That food sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? Now, he begins by drawing a contrast. You might go, what is Paul saying? Well, before Paul... Um, does the punchline, he says, uh, flee from idolatry. And then he gives you a scenario. So you go to church and you observe the Lord's Supper. You have the cup, you have the bread. You know what it represents, the body and the blood of Jesus. It also, uh, uh, that's uh, vertically, but as far as horizontally, it represents our unity in Christ. We all partake of the same cup. We all partake of the same loaf of bread. So it, it represents the body and blood of Jesus, but it also represents that we are one in Him. And so we come to church and we partake of the bread and the cup. But then if someone goes down the street where the uh, temple is, where they worship idols, they have their own sacrifices. And he basically says, now wait a minute. He says, what am I saying? That food sacrificed to idols is anything? That an idol is anything? It's a rhetorical question. That's not his point. He says, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And you can't play both sides. That's what he's saying. You can't play both sides. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. And so you have to flee idolatry. You have to sanctify yourself. When it comes to our relationships, are you willing to sanctify yourself? Another way of saying it would be, are you willing to look in the mirror? Are you willing to seek God and make sure that your heart is right? Are you willing to get the log out of your eye before you ask someone to take the speck out of theirs. In other words, do, do you sanctify yourself? The first thing that you and I should do before we point the finger is look at ourselves. We have to deal with us. We have to sanctify ourselves. Now that sanctify means holy. And it reminds me of a song that um, Scott Underwood wrote quite a few years ago called Take My Life. 
Maybe you've heard it. I'll read the, the, the verse says, Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness, holiness is what you want from me. And it goes through the verses. Faithfulness and then righteousness. But then the chorus of the song says, So take my heart and form it. Take my mind and transform it. Take my will and conform it to yours, to yours, O Lord. Think about that. Take my heart and form it. Take my mind, transform it. Take my will, conform it to you, to you, O Lord. In other words, you and I, if we're going to be holy, if we're going to be faithful, if we're going to be righteous, then we have to come to God every day and say, Lord, form my heart. Lord, transform my mind. Lord, conform my will to yours. That is holiness. So many times people get caught up in holiness. You know, it's following the rules or it's doing this or it's doing that. And uh, I like what someone said. They said to be holy, we need to understand it as holy, holy. In other words, complete. We will begin to understand what holy holiness looks like when we wholly commit ourselves to the Lord, heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, we come to Him and say, Lord, have Your way in me. So when it comes to our relationships, first question you have to ask yourself is, does it sanctify myself? A second question that you have to ask is, does it edify others? Now you know why I use these strange words, right? Maybe it'll help you remember better. But does it edify others? Now edify is another theology word. It means to build up. Okay, so when it comes to your relationships and you're assessing them, when the issues of life uh, collide with your heart, do you, do you sanctify yourself and does it edify others? Keep reading there in 1 Corinthians 10, picking up in verse 23. He uses a statement they would have said in their culture. They, they would say in Corinth, everything is permissible. But then Paul would say, but not everything is beneficial. Or to put it in our vernacular, you could do it, but you probably shouldn't. Think about it. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? <laughs> that is so true. And so everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience. Do you hear what Paul's saying? Because there's somebody going, now wait a minute, I know for a fact that some of that, that meat that's sacrificed to idols is, is then peddled to the meat market and people go and they buy it and they eat it. Oh, uh, what am I supposed to do about that? And, and here's what he says. He says, eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions. Don't ask for the sake of conscience, since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. And if any of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. But if someone says to you, this food is from a sacrifice, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you 
and for the sake of conscience. I don't mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized because of something for which I give thanks? We know later on in the New Testament, Paul wrote to Timothy that everything is consecrated to God through the Word of God and prayer. You know, God ultimately made uh, everything that's natural that we eat. And so, you know, the Old Testament diets and, and days, they don't apply when you look at the freedom that we have in Christ. Colossians talks about that. Jesus talked about that. There's a lot there that I don't have time to get into. But the point is... Uh, Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, he says, make sure that you're not seeking your own good, but you're seeking the good of the other person. Make sure that you only do what edifies others. Make sure that you do what builds up the other person. And so when you're presented food, don't ask questions. Don't make a fuss about it. Just thank God for it and eat it. But if someone says, do you know where that came from? then just don't eat it. Why? Because they're going to have an issue with it. You may not, but do the right thing. Do what is good for, your, for, for the other person. So when it comes to our relationship, when the issues of life come up, am I willing to build up others? Am I willing to edify others? I like what William, William Arthur Ward said. He says, when we seek to discover the best in others, we somehow bring out the best in ourselves. Uh, there's a simple explanation for that. It's called win-win. Win-win. In a world that's win-lose, where somebody has to win and somebody has to lose, when we're in Christ, we've already lost our life to Him, and so we do the right thing and we do what's best for others, and we can trust that God is in charge and in control. I love a poem that I found this week. It says, Are you a builder or a wrecker? Here's what the poem says. I watched them tearing a building down, a gang of men in a busy town. With a heave-ho and a loud yell, they swung a beam and the sidewalk fell. I asked the foreman, are these men skilled, the men you'd hire if you had to build? He gave a laugh and said, no, indeed, just common labor is all I need. I can easily wreck in a day or two what builders have taken a year to do. And I thought to myself as I went on my way, which of these roles have I tried to play? Am I a builder who works with care, measuring life by the rule and square? Am I shaping my deeds to a well-made plan, patiently doing the best I can? Or am I a wrecker who walks the town, content with the labor of tearing down? You know, you and I have a conscious choice in our relationships. We can either build people up or we can tear them down. Now, when it comes to some things, you have to let God be God. You have to let Him be the judge. But when it comes to our response, will you build them up or will you tear them down? We talked about in Sunday school today the life of Joseph and how he forgave his brothers even though they betrayed him. They sold him to slave traders that took him to Egypt, and they thought, we'll never see him again. Fast forward 13 years, and the dreams and the vision that he had has come true. He is on a throne. He's second in command in Egypt. And now his family comes during this famine because they need food to survive, and his brothers bow down to him. Just like the vision that he had shared 13 years earlier when he was a youth, and now, when they come back to Egypt the second time, 
needing food to get through the famine, two years into a famine that's going to last seven years in all, five more years to go. And that's that second trip is when Joseph reveals who he really is. And he says, I am Joseph, your brother. And he says, God sent me ahead of you to save lives. It shows that maybe they hadn't moved on, but Joseph did. Joseph made a conscious choice to forgive those that hurt him. And you and I will be wise to do the same. Are we a wrecker or are we a builder? The third and last thing I want to share with you today in order to invest in our relationships, we, we answer three questions. Does it sanctify self? Does it edify others? And the third question, does it glorify God? Does it glorify God? There in 1 Corinthians 10, look if you will, in verse 31, Paul concludes this chapter by saying, So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. I love that. Here, we are to do everything for the glory of God. Even the common things that we do all the time, every day without thinking, like drinking and eating. In everything you do, glorify God. Now, what does it mean to glorify God? I was looking for uh, a good illustration on this. And I think John Piper had a good one on this, I found. He was talking about how to explain this to kids. And he says, imagine a water tower. Imagine you're driving down the highway and you see a water tower in the distance. And you ask your child how big it is. Hold up your fingers. And so they're looking in the distance and they see this water tower. And they go, well, it's about from here to here. That's how big that water tower is. And you travel a few, four, few more miles and you arrive at the water tower. And you get out of the car and you stand there and say, now, how big is the water tire? Well, it's a lot bigger than this. And you begin to see how tall and big and imposing that water tire is. I mean, you wouldn't dare want to climb it. And he says, when we get close enough to see how big it is, then we're amazed at how tall it is. And then we want to show people how tall it is. And that's the way the glory of God works. We glorify God when we realize how awesome He is. And we want to share that with others. And you know what? When I think about it, if you and I want to glorify God, not only do we want to please Him in everything we do, but we don't want to give any offense to other people so that they may be saved as that last verse says in 1 Corinthians 10. You know, ultimately in our relationships, we don't want to be a stumbling block to other people. We want people to look at our lives, and we want to be able to go, you know, look at Joseph. Joseph could have been bitter. Joseph could have gotten revenge. Joseph could have revealed himself and said, you remember me? I remember you. And he could have really took charge. And he could, have, he could have used revenge against his brothers, but he didn't. 
God had changed his, law, changed his heart, touched his life, and he says, God sent me ahead of you to save lives. And you know what? When it comes to our relationships, first of all, look in the mirror. Am I walking in holiness? Does it sanctify self? Does it edify others? Am I going for the win-win? And does it glorify God? Am I going to treat people in such a way that when it's all said and done, they'll know what salvation looks like? And maybe just maybe they'll want to be saved too. When you look at these three questions, they're diagnostic in nature. They're questions that you can ask yourself at any given time how you're doing in your relationships. And it starts with you and then others and then God. And if you're walking in holiness, if you're seeking to build up the other person and do, do something for their good, and you ultimately want to see people saved and glorify God, that's exactly the line and the path that God wants us to walk in our relationships. And so it's my prayer that today and moving forward, we can use these three simple questions as a gut check to say, how am I doing in my relationships? And when the issues of life come and they happen, how am I doing when it comes to answering those three questions? Well, I want to encourage you today to remember what Jesus said to the guy that was testing him. He says, you've answered right. Now do this and live. And you heard me share a while ago that none of us can live that kind of life. None of us can have that kind of love until we're saved. Before Christ came into our lives, we were just living in Titus chapter 3 where Paul said we were hated and envied and we were disobedient and all of this. But when the kindness of God appeared in God our Savior, Jesus Christ, He saved us not because of something you did, not because of something I did, but because of His mercy. And now we've received the Holy Spirit, we've been born again. Have you been saved? In all of your experiences in life, in all of your relationships, have you ever, have you ever considered your relationship with God? Have you ever come to that place where you realize that you need to be saved? It's my prayer today that if you've never took that step, you would today as we stand, as we sing, as musicians come, let's pray. Father, I come before you this morning, and Lord, I just humbly ask right now, Lord, that you would speak to each and every heart. Lord, I pray that as we consider how to invest in our relationships, I pray that we'll take a few moments to think about the most important relationship that we could ever have, and that's our relationship with you. And Father, I pray, Lord, if the uh, if there's someone here today, Lord, that doesn't know you, Father, I pray that they'll be willing to take that first step to trust and follow you. And Father, for every believer in this place, Lord, may we strive to sanctify ourselves, to edify others, and to glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.